Welcome to another episode of The Lydia Project, Conversations with Christian Women. I'm your host, Tori Walker. Chronic fatigue syndrome is an illness that affects around 150,000 Australians, and so you probably know someone who has suffered from it or is suffering from it now. It's a bit of a hidden disease because you can't necessarily tell by looking at someone whether they've got it, and if they do, whether they're having a good day or a bad day. But as we hear from our next guest, Michelle Goldsworthy, it is an incredibly difficult and painful illness to live with. Michelle has kindly opened up and told us what her life is like with chronic fatigue syndrome, her struggles, her deep joys, and how various people have helped her along the way. I really appreciated being able to talk to Michelle about this aspect of her life, as well as ask her some of the usual questions that we ask here on The Lydia Project, such as how she came to faith in Jesus, what she's into at the moment, and what keeps her trusting in Jesus. I hope you enjoy listening to this one. I haven't seen you for about, I feel like it's about 20 years, but it must be a bit less than that. It's probably about 15. 15. Yeah, I met you when I moved to Sydney in 2000. And you were actually the first person I met. Really? At Moore College. I moved to Sydney to study at Moore College. And the first weekend I was there, I moved in with my parents. And you showed up at our door to take me to church. Do you know I have no recollection of that? Really? I don't even know what church we went to. Your church? Yeah, but which one would it have been? All Saints West Linfield? I have no idea. That is so bizarre. (laughs) (laughs) I remember studying with you, but I don't remember. And we played in a band together. Do you remember that? Was that for... um... (laughs) I loved that. (laughs) That was for the college review night. Yeah. (laughs) Come, you... How come I was playing bass? Because you play bass. I was on the drums. You were on the drums. <laughs> Which is a great joke. Because <laughs> I am not a drummer. <laughs> Somehow, we, we put this girl band together. We did. And I was on the drums and you were on the bass. And, um, and because there's probably yeah. no recording of it out there in cyberspace, we were great. Yep. We were awesome. Yep. We rocked it. Mm. It was funny. I do remember that. Yep. And it was a lot of fun doing it. <laughs> it really was. I, I miss college review nights. Uh, that was so fun. So you were, stu- you were studying at Moore College, but you weren't living at Mary Andrews College. You were living with your parents because your parents were also living on campus. Mm. So I'll just dive straight in. Has that been weird being the daughter of a somewhat famous in some really small circles of Christian um, circles kind of person with the surname Goldsworthy? It was only weird when I moved to Sydney. I grew up in Brisbane. Dad was minister of our church and he wrote these books and didn't seem like anyone read them. And so it wasn't until I moved to Sydney then it it hit me. I was like, oh my goodness, I'm the daughter of a celebrity. I had no idea. And so did it take a bit of a while to get used to, like to adjust? Yeah, it it was very obvious how, like how much of an impact Dad had made yeah. In, a, in the lives of a lot of Christians in, in the evangelical circles. Absolutely. Um, and it wasn't so prominent up, prominent up here yeah. in Brisbane because evangelicalism is not so big. Whereas in Sydney, all, I kept meeting people. It was like, oh, your dad's books changed my life. Yeah, and I was about to say exactly the same thing to you yeah. because his books did. Mm. I remember I went overseas and I took um, Gospel and Kingdom and that was a really big, heavy book for me. to be. Oh, or was it the the slightly bigger one? I can't remember, but... I was reading it and just, yeah, just completely opened my mind and just went, wow, God really is in control. You know, this mm. the whole Bible was all put together with one message. 
So you didn't grow up thinking your dad was famous, but you did grow up as a preacher's kid. Did you know that that was odd or different to others or did you feel, or was it just for you, it was just normal, that's just, that was how you um, grew up? Yeah, it wasn't that big a deal for me. I grew up being well taught. So I actually, I can't remember a time when I didn't believe in God and mm. believe in Jesus. So it just all felt normal for me. And I, I never kind of went through a rebellious stage of, you know, rejecting Christianity. Or, so it was like, yeah, we went to church. It was all good. And obviously, like I was a bit different at school and um, I didn't really have any close Christian friends and, and I was quite a committed Christian, mm. especially in high school. And mm. that was, yeah, um, quite odd, I think. But at the same time, it, it was just my life. So when you left school, did you get into sound production straight away? No one told me that girls aren't supposed to be interested in sound engineering. They found out in year 12, there was actually a course at the Conservatorium of Music in music technology production, all that sort of mm. stuff. So I auditioned for that. Yep. And got in. So straight from school, yeah, went to uni at the Con in Brisbane. There you go. So where yeah. did you work when you finished uni? My first sort of major job I got was down at, on the Gold Coast at Jupiter's Casino. It was like an interesting phone call I made to mum and dad. It's like, I got a job at the casino. <gasps> yeah. Yeah. Wow. So what was that like working in that world? The, yeah. the world of theatre is very pagan, I guess debaucherous place and I was this naive Christian girl um, sort of just being thrown into it and um, so did you feel the pressure to join in with all of that not so much I think with with a lot of things over time you start to feel yourself kind of wondering so it wasn't this kind of like ah, oh, this is where I want to go and just throw aside my Christian life and mm. go down that path I think or like I didn't do anything major that I really regret mm. but I can look back and see like at one stage there were probably a series of very very small decisions I made that sort of saw me heading down a path where I wouldn't have chosen to go and I, I do remember one night just sort of sitting in my bedroom on the Gold Coast and just it was, it was a very social life. We're having a lot of fun. Like I, I'd sort of found a bit more of a, a personality in that work and mm. was discovering that people actually like me and mm. going out and having, you know, you'd do the show at night and go out for drinks and have a lot of fun and you'd come home really late every night and sleep in, go to the beach and then go and do the show again. And so it was just this... Kind of sounds fun. Yeah, it was fun. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I wasn't getting to church a lot because um, yeah. we, we had Sunday shows. Yeah, back to that night in my bedroom, I was just like, what are you doing? No, I really do want to be a Christian. Mm. And just, it was, yeah, it was like God really confronted me about, you know, choices I was making in life and how being a Christian should affect me. And mm. that it wasn't like I was, you know, doing anything outlandish or anything, mm. but it was just a real kind of, okay, this, this is where I want to be. I want to live God's way. And this is my choice. This is not just who I am because I grew up with it. Yep. So that was quite significant. Oh. So then you went to Sydney and studied at Moore College for a year. Yeah, so I just sort of decided I wanted to get into the Bible yep. more. So it wasn't a decision that I wanted to move into ministry or anything. It was yep. more of 
I'm really frustrated with my lack of Bible knowledge and I want to do something about it. I think like I kind of knew a lot but then at the same time didn't know a lot because I had been quite slack with my own Bible study and so like no I'm gonna take a year out and I didn't want to work at Jupiter's forever and like yeah let's let's do this. Did it end up helping you understand the Bible better? I think it was one of the best things I ever did to gain a really good understanding of the Bible as a whole because mm. the first year of college is very much an overview year and yeah I think it was a bit of information overload <laughs> so that was difficult because it's things there was just so much to learn and then to retain and in my case I didn't retain a lot of it but yeah, yeah. it was it was worthwhile yeah, I remember towards the end of the year, I just felt like, I mean, this is a visual description on a podcast, but I felt like there was this hinge on top of my head and I was just trying to stuff more and more information in and it just wasn't fitting. Like, ah. yeah. anyway, it was good information though. Would you recommend that to people? Like if they have the opportunity to take a year out and study the Bible full time? Oh, of course. Yeah, I think life is very busy for everyone and trying to actually really balance a job and family or whatever mm. and mm. and to really get into the bible and and understand the big picture can be hard yeah so i think it's if you've got the chance to do it definitely go to college and just take the time out after college then you got a, you went back to sound engineering yeah got to the end of the year and sort of conf confirmed in my mind that ministry wasn't for me i wasn't going to go in that direction and music and audio was what I wanted to do but Sydney was the place to be for that so here I was I might as well stay took the opportunity to start from scratch ended up doing a lot of freelance work sort of set up my own business and was I, I sort of discovered that there were a lot of studios around town sitting empty right because the market just had completely dropped out of the recording industry because home recording had right. taken off so much yeah and so all these people had spent all this money building studios and then they couldn't get the work. And here I was, I was an engineer with no equipment at all. And oh, I, so I was like, if I can find the clients, yes. then I'll go into their studio. And studio owners are like, yeah, come and use our studio. So they give me a really cheap rate. So I was doing a lot of that, just okay. sort of networking amongst musicians and going, hey, do you want to record an album? And so I, you've actually recorded albums for yeah. bands? Yeah. Wow. And then doing some casual work at the ABC. And the ABC was always kind of this place where I never imagined I could ever work. It was just too high a bar. Through some guy I met who happened to know the head sound engineer of Radio National and didn't work there anymore, but he knew his number off by heart and said, oh, you should call this guy. And so I did. So you did. <laughs> Love it. And yeah. they were looking for new casuals. So yeah, I started doing casual work there. and couple of years down the track a full-time job became available which was another amazing thing because at the ABC people never leave so for a, for a proper job to come up either someone had to retire or die as I look back at that it's those years and I really miss um, having that community of people mm. I worked with and it was a really lovely bunch of people yeah so I really miss them so is um, sound engineering like a department within the whole ABC or are you attached to specific stations or shows or how does it work? Yeah, um, actually each network, so I was with radio and yep. there's five different radio networks yep. 
and each <coughs> network has their own pool of staff. Yeah. What was the culture like at ABC from a Christian point of view? Yeah, it was, it was interesting because people knew I was a Christian and really respected me, but at the same time, it was a very anti-Christian environment. So, yeah, it's very uh, typically left-wing and I'd often find myself sort of stuck in the midst of some quite negative conversation around Christians and particularly biblical Christians. Um, so I know your health is not 100% at the moment. How did that all begin? I've always struggled with health. Yep. I was actually quite a sick child and always struggled with energy levels. So when, it, when everyone else kept going, I had to stop and rest. But specifically, things got a lot worse back in 2005 after I got sick with a strange virus and was actually overseas um, and I ended up getting quite bad chronic fatigue from that affecting my life quite dramatically ever since so mm. it's been 11 years now. Yes yeah, so I had only just been at the ABC for about a year when I got sick and yeah had to take a lot of time off work and mm. slowly built my hours back up to get back to work because yeah I was, I was quite sick. Yeah it's incredibly isolating. People don't understand it and I don't expect them to because they haven't experienced it mm. and when you have chronic fatigue it's a very unhelpful term because everyone sort of has an idea in their head of what it feels like to be fatigued but having chronic fatigue is not like that. Yeah it's not just feeling tired because mm. um, everybody feels tired yep. but it's a relentless tiredness where you don't recover from it mm. you don't just get a good night's sleep and get going again and it actually really affects your life um, to the point where you can't work mm. and mm. don't have a social life um, and yeah have to yeah set up all sorts of boundaries around your life because your body just completely shuts down mm. so one way of describing it 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 feels like you've got the flu all the time mm. so most people have had the flu at some stage or something like mm. the flu mm. and just that feeling in your head where you just feel all woozy and if you get up you feel like you're going to collapse and mm. um, no energy to do anything and that's kind of what it feels like to have chronic fatigue but it's like that all the time everyone has a different experience of it mm. there's also a lot of muscular pain for a lot of people uh, which I have as um, a thing we like to call brain fog mm. um, where you just kind of can't concentrate on anything and then there's just the whole emotional side of it where you know I can't do anything mm. and I don't know if I'm ever going to get better and it's just terrifying. Yeah the isolation of just you drop off the radar mm. uh, you just you just stop showing up to things and slowly people start to forget you know that you're there mm -hmm. um, and there were wonderful people that stepped up and kept helping me and um, but yeah I feel like a, a lot of my relationships really suffered mm -hmm. because of my health and mm -hmm. that was quite heartbreaking mm. yeah and then there were you know a couple of really amazing people at church who just they were always there, you know, yeah. and yeah. just show up 
and you know a, a young couple who were great friends you know just rang me up one day and said we're coming to clean your flat and <laughs> so they just showed up and things like that are really helpful because when you're really sick you don't have the energy to delegate things to people yeah um so people you know you get these messages saying oh let me know if you need anything it's like well I, I don't know what I need yeah and I don't know what you're willing to do yeah. and it's just it's not helpful and did you sort of struggle with feeling bad if you ask people for help if you know you sort of knew they were busy and yes for a couple of reasons yeah, it is it is a very humbling thing mm. to go yes I need help mm. and but I also had a couple of negative experiences with that as well of of that thing where let me know if you need anything. And I discovered, oh, actually, it's kind of a bit like a greeting yeah, kind of thing. Yeah, don't let me know. Yeah. Oh, um, that's hard. So that was hard. So when people give you really concrete offers yep. of help, um, it's like, can I bring you a meal or just bring it yeah. kind of thing. That's better. Um, yeah, because mm. then it doesn't leave that to me to be going, oh, how much do I really need this? And, mm. and it's like... Or you're bringing the meal, and okay, that's great. Thank yeah, because the other way it sort of puts the burden back on you, being the sick person, which is not mm. that helpful, is it? Did you actually get depressed in that time? Yes, it was, yeah, quite a difficult time for me. And again, I, I think this is something that happens over a course of a long time, mm. you know, questioning God and stuff. Um, but I mean, actually you do question God a lot at the start. But I think, yeah, what happened with me was a very slow descent, and we're talking over years, mm. probably, mm. of not, I wouldn't say I was clinically depressed, mm. um, but in a real state of, I think, yeah, it was yeah more of a, a spiritual thing for me where I'd never stopped believing the gospel and that Jesus had died for my salvation. That was always there. But I think I had slowly started to believe some lies about who God was. Um, so I was just so turned in on myself in my suffering. And I can imagine motivation to want to pray or read God's word was fairly flat. I had a almost non-existent prayer life. Reading the Bible was difficult for me physically because I just I couldn't read anything at that stage when I was really sick before Bible apps and mm. things like that. Mm. So I think Bible on CD existed, but it was ridiculously expensive. Yep. <laughs> yep. Um, so yeah, my Bible reading was not in a good pattern. I had an attitude of prayer that was just kind of like what's the point mm. um, I've prayed for some really big things and the exact opposite always happens so I was yeah not not a good example of Christian faithfulness at that point <laughs> it just sounds so hard and it sounds like a world where everything was contributing to every other issue unhelpfully the, the tiredness and the the spiritual flatness and the illness and yes and the, I mean you've pointed out just how complicated things are there was it was my there was my health 
my singleness, the isolation, real lack of hearing of God's grace for me in, in my situation. And I kind of can see that there was, that was not happening. And mm. so I don't want to blame people or mm. anything, but there's just a whole range mm. of things that add up. So it seems like things are a bit better now. What kind of things happened that helped you? So I think things changed quite dramatically for me spiritually um, back in 2012. So we're talking seven years into this whole thing. So again, it's like a long period of time. I'd had a major relapse in my health issues after almost thinking, oh, I'm almost better. And yeah, I was still terrible prayer. Like my Bible reading had picked up a lot. Um, I was working on that really, yeah, quite a lot. But I basically, yeah, I had a terrible prayer life. And I remember I was, I was actually out for a walk and um, I, I had just, I just started talking to God and I was just saying, this is ridiculous. I feel like I haven't spoken to you at all for weeks or more and I'm supposed to be in a relationship with you. You have to do something. I guess there were a few little events along the way after that that kind of helped me along, like meeting up with my pastor and mm. um, talking about prayer with him. And Yeah, actually it was funny because he was sort of like, oh, your dad's book on prayer was really good like, oh I haven't read it <laughs> I was like, oh, I should read that so I started reading that and at the same time I started reading another book called you can change by Tim Chester um, which talks about a lot of negative emotions and and our sin mm. uh, in in that and I, I guess I just had a, a major turnaround spiritually so reading reading the book on prayer it is funny that that book should really affect me in such a big way, A, because it's my dad's book, and also because it's quite a theological book, not, not a real practical mm. book on prayer. But anyway, I sort of tell dad, oh, that book changed my life. <laughs> and in a way it did because it, it got me really thinking, you know, that prayer is a natural part of our humanity. Yeah. And it, it's not meant to be this chore or it's just meant to be who we are we're created to be in relationship with god and it should be this natural thing and so that really got me thinking and at the same time this other book you can change it was talking quite specifically about christians and and their lack of belief mm -hmm. and and how our negative emotions can come from our unbelief and believing lies about who god is mm -hmm reading that uh, was quite a life-changing event for me because I suddenly saw quite dramatically mm. the sin mm. in my unbelief mm. and believing lies that you know God didn't care about me and that God wasn't good and and I, I think God just did a miracle in me mm. and I, all of a sudden I went from being prayerless to suddenly I had this amazing prayer life <laughs> where I just I just couldn't stop praying and so basically that prayer where I said to God you have to do something he did because 
that was quite a supernatural change yeah. that took place. It was quite exciting because, yeah, I suddenly was relating to God in a way I'd never related to him before and just praying and praying and praying and praying. <laughs> it's like, I can't stop praying. That is fantastic. And, um, yeah, and so starting to really sort of um, look into my heart and, and see the ways that I had made my suffering worse. Mm. So, that, you know, the suffering is still suffering and it, it's okay to grieve in that mm. but I had made it worse mm. by doubting God in that and dwelling on it and being turned inwards and kind of letting the gospel float into the background and and I think that's probably a big story for a lot of Christians where yeah I trust God for my salvation and now I've just got to get on with life on my own and kind of thing whereas the gospel is for all of life and all of life is grace and I need Jesus as my saviour and I also need Jesus and his redemptive grace for me to get through this day and be able to suffer in a way that glorifies God mm. and that can only be done by God's grace yep. and yeah so it was a, a huge learning curve in that area of get examining my heart and seeing my sin not just as outward works, mm. you know, because I was generally a pretty well-behaved person. I was mm. a little bit cheeky, but, you know, <laughs> you couldn't really look at my life and say there was a, any major sin there from outward appearance. Mm. But to be able to look inside and, and see, yeah, the sin of how desires for other things became more important than God and and not rejoicing in God. Mm. You know, back to the Philippians 4 sermon yeah we rejoice in the lord and um re remember the the great things that he has done for us in jesus and and it's not that that's a painkiller like it doesn't make all your problems go away but it is actually possible to have joy alongside the suffering mm. and that's what i couldn't see for so long mm. i just couldn't i couldn't understand you know, all these Bible passages about rejoicing in your suffering. And it was just like, I can't see. Like, I, I used to think about it. It was like, no, I don't, I can't understand how this is possible. Mm. Um, and then then I could. It was mm. like, it is possible to rejoice in my suffering because it is possible to see the good that God is doing. Sometimes you can't see the good he's doing. Mm. I mean, I, I can't see the good he's doing now. But to be dwelling on the truth that the Bible tells me that God is doing a good thing um, and he's restoring me and making me more like Christ. There is, there is actually joy in that. Mm. And, and sometimes it's just like, it's a, it's a battle. It's a constant battle because mm. my health has been particularly bad this last year. It's mm. been probably my worst year and it's, you know, I, I grieve and, and I hate it. Like, I really hate it. And it's this battle to keep coming back to the truth. But I know that when I do come back to the truth, I feel that hope and I feel that comfort. Yeah, you mentioned before, you know, it was, it was hard because you had to look at your sin in, in believing lies. And it seems like, you know, that could be a negative thing, but actually it's liberating, isn't it, to 
to see sin and you know be able to repent of it and yeah and it is a wonderful thing because the more you see your own sin the more you see God's grace Mm. and and that's a beautiful thing and that's where the joy comes Mm. is when you realize how much grace he has for me Mm. you know daily repentance of sin is actually a wonderful thing oh thank you for sharing that so you've been um up in Brisbane for how long then? Uh, a year and a half okay. or a bit more. I left my job at the ABC four years ago. Yep. I took a redundancy mm-hmm. um, for various reasons. A lot of it was to do with my health. Like mm-hmm. I was working four days a week at that stage and then spending three days in bed recovering. Yep. And I was just, I was really struggling mm. to keep up with that. And people thought I was mad, like I had colleagues like taking me aside and counselling me saying, you can't leave, like what are you doing? (laughs) I, yeah, I'd sort of been starting to think, oh, I'd really like to get more involved at church and explore ministry options Mm. a bit more. So it was a huge turnaround from back 15 years ago at Moore College, like, I'm not going to work in ministry. (laughs) Um, And all of a sudden I was like, yeah, I think I'd like to investigate a bit more. And and I was was chatting to my pastor one day and he was sort of asking me, oh, do you want to meet up with women? And I was like, yeah, I do actually. (laughs) (laughs) Which is also hilarious because one of the reasons I never wanted to go into ministry was like, I can't stand the thought of meeting up with women. <laughs> <laughs> All the time. <laughs> oh, and funny. so it was, just, it was just like, what is happening to me? Um, and then I was sort of like, oh, I feel like, I feel like I know quite a lot of theology, but I don't know how to care for people. Um, and how do you learn how to do that? And so my pastor suggested a course in biblical counseling uh, which is an online course mm-hmm. from Philadelphia so it's a group called CCEF uh, which stands for Christian Counseling Educational Foundation um, and is biblical counseling different to Christian counseling let's go back a long way so pastoral care used to belong in the church yep. centuries ago yep. it was it was the job of your local pastor to care for people mm-hmm. um, and then secular psychology came about and all of a sudden pastoral care got moved away from the church Mm -hmm. into the realm of psychology and all of the therapies that were developing Um, so it was no longer the job of the pastor to care for people but to send people away to secular professionals and then there's a very varied history and we're talking more of american history in this because this is what i've studied yep where Christians started to take on board secular therapies mm. and Christianize them. Mm-hmm. It was like, no, we've got to bring, you know, biblical perspectives back into how we care for people. Mm-hmm. There, there's a well-known guy called Jay Adams who started the biblical counseling movement and he's met with a lot of criticism over the years because he, he was seen as being very legalistic but basically he developed this idea that we don't want to just christianize secular therapies we want to come up with a therapy that starts with the bible and so biblical counseling has been developed that of starting from the gospel 
you know, what is our greatest need and why did Jesus come mm. to die? He came because our greatest need is for a saviour. Mm. Um, he came to save us from our sin. Yeah, they've developed this whole method of counselling and theology around this idea, but it is all of grace. So in, in all of our problems, whether it's big patterns of sin in our life or suffering, mm. um, and I, can, I could see all this relating to what I had been through, where my suffering was not a direct cause of my own sin, but my own sin was making my suffering worse. And so we need to keep coming back to the gospel in all areas of our life and seeing my need for a saviour. Jesus came to rescue me from my sin and how that impacts what's going on in my life now. Mm. So that's, I guess, that's biblical counselling in a nutshell. Probably done very badly. Oh, um, <laughs> sounds good to me. Probably one of the most well-known areas of secular therapy is cognitive behavioural therapy. So the idea of how our thinking affects how we feel. Mm. And as with all therapies, um, there's grace that God gives us in all areas of life, mm. even things that aren't Christian. Mm. He's given us medicine. He's given us psychology. So we want to say, don't want to say that these things are all bad. Mm. We can find good things in all of these areas. And when you look into cognitive behavioral therapy and, you know, they identify specific patterns of thinking that are really unhealthy. Mm. And it's true. Mm. Like when you catastrophize, what's the word? Cat yeah, cat absolutize or catastrophize. Catastrophize things. Yep. Um, so you're always thinking the worst or you're always um, jumping to conclusions about what other people think. So they're all unhealthy and they can all affect how you are responding in life. It can affect you physically because we're so tied up as physical and emotional beings. And I guess, yeah, and again, I, I risk misrepresenting people, but uh, a Christian counselling way into CBT is to say, like, because CBT will work a lot with your self-esteem and thinking good thoughts about yourself and not worrying about what other people think. And to Christianize that would be, oh, you need to find your self-esteem in Jesus. And there's truth in that, but actually the Bible never talks about us being esteemed in Jesus. And while Jesus does shower us with his love, that is true. Jesus came to rescue us from our sin. Mm. He didn't come to make me feel good about myself. So the biblical counseling perspective would be, no, we're not trying to esteem ourselves. We want to esteem Christ mm. and see his worth as the glorious one who saved me from my sin. You've been studying that. Have you finished or are you still studying? I'm almost finished. How do you see yourself using it? Like, would you um, see it would sort of be very kind of professional appointment based kind of counselling or it would be more... You know, I'm meeting up with you, reading the Bible, praying with you, and an issue pops up. Hey, let's deal with it. Mm. This particular course is not an accredited counselling course. So legally, I can't yeah. practice as a counsellor mm -hmm. in Australia. So if I was to get a job, it would probably be in a church or mm. a parachurch situation, working in pastoral care or women's ministry or something like that. The whole mission of CCEF is restoring Christ back into counselling and restoring counselling back into the local church. 
Do you have the energy to do that yet? I seriously don't know what God wants me to do. I'm not getting the pension, but I'm too sick to work. Yet I have this huge passion to be doing biblical counselling and yeah. So, but I'm just kind of in a, in a stage of waiting. So yeah, yesterday was a bad day. I was dizzy and I spent most of the day in bed basically. Went out for a walk because I've got to go for a walk. Mm. It's um, part of trying to maintain things. Yep. Um, so yep. being really strict with trying to get some exercise in yep. every day. But yeah, like I was just, didn't even have the energy to watch TV. I was just, felt that rotten fluey, dizzy, weak, tired, sore. It just must be so frustrating. Or yeah. you're just too tired to be frustrated. It's more just sad. Yeah, it's sad. Um, I think the days when I'm not quite as bad are worse because I'm like, I really want to go out and do something and I know I can't because I know I'm not going to last more than two hours. Mm. And then if I push myself, I'll really pay for it. So you always pay for things later. So you can kind of, you know, channel your energy into doing things a little bit, but knowing that for days afterwards, I'm going to have to recover from it. So I'm about yeah. to ask you about books. Is there a good book on biblical counselling that you can recommend or is it really only the course? I've got one right beside you, actually. But this one's called How People Change by Timothy Lane and Paul Tripp. Yes. And he's written other stuff on... Yes. Marriage and stuff? Yeah, he's done a lot of marriage stuff. Um, he's written quite a lot about, yeah, that whole concept of how we live life in this world in yep. the light of God's grace. Yeah. Which, yeah, I, I think he's my favourite author at the moment, I think. Awesome. So, and Excellent. this one, Spiritual Disciplines for the Christian Life by Donald S. Whitney, which I found quite helpful. Working through various um, disciplines like scripture reading, prayer, worship, meditation, and other things, fasting, but very practical in its approach to, you know, how you can go about fostering these things and also why, and, you know, the whole idea of becoming more disciplined, it's a, it's a real joyful thing, so... Yeah, I recommend that one. Hmm. Okay, well, we'll put the links to all of that on the Gospel Coalition Australia website <laughs> and also on the Facebook page. Thank you. Oh, gosh. Yeah, <laughs> it'll be out there, Michelle. <laughs> Thank you so much for chatting with me today. You're welcome.